0: Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, the podcast that's more 90s than having a postcode that's 90210. My name's Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. And joining me is now, as always, he's now part of the furniture. It's the fastest growing Twitter account there is. Landlord of the football tavern, Mr. Ed Chambers. How are you doing, Ed? I am very well, Ashley. How are you? I'm good, mate.
1: Yeah, I'm good. It's, been, it's, it's good. been a while since we've um it's been a while since we've done this, hasn't it? Just before Christmas. We had a nice chat with with Pat Nevin, which was yes. uh, an absolute pleasure. So this is the first in the new series. I should actually quantify that by saying that I am well, but I have a stinking cold. So that means I probably found a bit like Trevor Francis on Monday night football in yeah. the nineteen nineties, because he seemed to have a cold for the entire decade um so quick story about Charlie Francis actually if you oh, there's always time for that and I'm, I'm hoping to get you shocked now Charlie Francis used to go at my mum
0: I think I knew that I think you told yeah. me that before
1: yeah so um so, yeah but I haven't told everyone else so you know no, but as you yeah, said that so, it was
0: like a, a yeah. bell rang in my head going oh yeah,
1: yeah. oh yeah so, so yeah so I because I come from quite a big family so I've got victory a football story every week I think for this series but um yeah, they went. They lived in the same area in Plymouth, right? So in the nineteen seventies, they went to, you know, a disco or whatever, you know, the school equivalent in the yeah. in the in the nineteen seventies. And um, Trevor Francis asked my mum for a dance, and then they went out a couple of times. So you know, if life had been different, I could have been the son of the first million pound footballer in England. Um, obviously, it didn't work out. She met my dad, and he definitely isn't the uh, million-pound footballer. So uh,
0: yeah, I met knows? your dad. He's definitely not Trevor Francis. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I mean, if if if, um, if my dad was Trevor Francis, you never know. I could have made it, but unfortunately, I'm crap. So yeah.
0: there you go. See, when I'm going to break my own rules here. When I think of Trevor Francis, obviously being a QPR man, I think of yeah. very vaguely because it was bit before my time when he was player manager at Loftus Road, but there's a goal that I've seen many a times over the years on season videos more likely than YouTube or anything like that against Aston Villa I think it is yeah. uh he's on the corner of the box and he flicks yeah. it up and then lobs it do love a lob yeah. um over the keeper he's, he's a strange one Trevor Francis because I don't at QPR he's not unloved but he's not yeah. loved either and he, his spell there yeah. wasn't it was okay he wasn't great he yeah. wasn't it wasn't bad. We were we we had some highs and some lows, but yeah, he's a funny one. Don't see him on yeah. telly much anymore, do you? No, you don't. He just seems to have disappeared
1: from the um disappeared from the limelight really. But yeah. um, well maybe that was through choice. Um, but um, yeah. So there was my um Trevor Francis story at the um at the risk of getting a yellow card this early in the series. Um, we are sitting here the day after um, QPR have drawn two all at home to Middlesbrough. Now, if I was to put a bet on last night, and I wish I should have done it, mm. I was going to put a bet on 2 all because I knew it was going to be a draw and I knew it was going yeah. to have goals with it. Are you disappointed or would you have taken a point given how the game sort of went?
0: I think Borough were much the better team. And, you know, yeah, regular member of the of the podcast, Mr. Joel Young, will testify that I was texting him during the game as well. And uh, on Sky's unbearable red button coverage, I shouldn't complain, first world problems, but one camera, yeah. one commentator, no replays, he's all, all yeah. got fun and games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Borough by far, far the better team for most of the game, and um, so they. I, th- I would have taken a point by the end of it. It was quite funny actually. Yeah. I think we were. I was joking with a Borough fan on Twitter about Joe Lumley having a stormer, who was an ex QPR. Yeah. He was joking about uh, Albert Adoma having a stormer, who's ex Borough, yeah. and they yeah. were both at fault for the goals. So we obviously yes. did the uh, the classic commentators curse <laughs> on, on those two ex players because it was a night for that. But yeah, you know, it's a terrible that, league, and that like, points it. good.
1: Yeah, that bit of the championship is so, so tight. That yeah. playoff bit, there's going to be a really good side that comes seventh.
0: Yeah, well, and right? eighth and ninth probably. And yeah,
1: whether, whether it's, you know, whether Blackburn starts to fall out, whether Forest fall out or Huddersfield, who are doing really well at the minute, someone's going to miss out somewhere along the line. And obviously, for your sake, you hope it's not um, You hope it's not KPL.
0: Well, as I've said to you already, I'd, I'd take automatic. I don't really want the playoffs because yeah, there's Sto-
1: no... I think that's slightly ambitious. I don't. It's slightly, you know,
0: but this—it's there. I mean, if we'd won last night, I think I think it was on. But and and I think we, I think we showed last night we're probably not the best team around that sort of top six, eight. But yeah, on our day, we can be, we can be anyone. I truly believe that. But we we have to be on our day. That's that's the difference. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than ending the season losing in the playoff semi-final. I mean, what a waste but well, was, yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean the playoff final is pretty bad but the semi-final probably worse yeah yeah, yeah.
0: You, well, or, you know yeah exactly you get the you know the cliche day out and you know, yeah. i did it in 2003 cardiff when we lost to yeah. cardiff in cardiff which was shouldn't yeah. have been allowed um yeah. but yeah it's one of those. No, you,
1: you've, you've got over it i see
0: yeah, I still shouldn't believe. He should have been allowed. Yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't yeah, happen yeah, in yeah. the nineties. I tell you that. Um, <laughs> funny enough, today's guest, who we will talk to in just a second, and he. Yeah, we probably should of, mention him. Should yeah, we? Yeah, play half, play off, heartache himself, didn't he? Um, during yeah. the he's not We are going to be joined in just a second uh, by former Aston Villa Wolves, as I said, and Coventry winger Steve Froggett, which is uh, yeah. an interesting, a bit of a a proper nineties name from the past. Before we get him on the line, what what? What, when I say Steve Froggatt to you, Ed, what what brings to mind? What do you think of?
1: Um, I think, uh, like everybody with Steve Froggatt, I probably think of that that goal actually. Um, yeah. Against, uh, I think it's Everton where he sort of bangs it in from about thirty yards, and I think Mark, there's a sort of obviously Martin Tyler's got more iconic moments than the, <laughs> than the, than this moment, but it's quite an iconic sort of commentary. I think he shouts something like Froggatt goes for goal, and it ends up in the in the top in the top corner. I mean, he's I think what we tend to do here as well is we tend to not maybe ask him about that because he's probably been asked that a million and one yeah. times. So I don't know whether we'll talk about that goal specifically, but it is a great, it is a great strike. Um, so I do think about that. And then um, actually I think about kits, yeah. right? You know, I think, well, about, know kits I think about kits generally. Now you, you you, and I have known each other a long time. Now you're yeah. a kit man, right? You are yeah. the man that loves football kits. I am not really, I mean, I look at nostalgic kits and think, yeah, you know, okay, fair enough. But to me, most of the time, it's the difference between one team and another. But I do look back and fit that Villa kit with the, oh. the sort of the strings and the the mitre copies
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, logo and all that. So whenever sort of Steve Froggett, I probably fit in that goal and think also he was part of that Villa team. So I'm lo- yeah. really looking forward
0: to having a chat with him. Yeah, that's a classic. We'll ask him about that kit for sure. He wasn't great. Is he he's, actually. he's here, I think. Is he here? Oh he's in. There we are. Okay. That's uh yeah, sure. that's that's good. I to Steve Frogger.
1: Yeah, cue the music.
0: And joining us as well today, a very special guest, somebody actually I wanted to get on the show for a long time. So it's a pleasure to have him on Alive and kicking. former Aston Villa, Wolves and Coventry winger, Mr. Steve Froggett. Steve, how are you doing today, sir?
2: Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Yourselves? We're good. Yeah, thank, you. Well, thank you. Yeah, good.
0: thank you very much uh, for joining us. Um, where are you, sir? What is Steve Froggett? Because I always think when we speak to ex-footballers, we wonders, wonder who haven't been in coaching we don't see his TV as much what are they up to now so what where is Steve Frogger and what is he doing in the world right now
2: well I'm currently sat in my office in, in my home but I've, I've been a mortgage broker for wow. seven eight years now um really? I, I I've been working for TV and radio for the past 25 years but it was it was getting too busy so I took, basically I took a sabbatical from radio I used to work for Radio London Radio WM and and quite a few radio stations uh, and I just decided to take a couple of years out and never. And obviously then the pandemic happened and haven't gone back. And um, so, yeah, that was really my last ties, I guess, with football.
0: Mm-hmm. change of pace. So, what, what made you want to be get into mortgage advising?
2: Well, I, when I was a young player, I, went, I, I, I actually took on further qualifications. So uh, uh, even when I was an apprentice at Villa when I was 16, I went to college in the BTEC National and Business and Finance. So it's something I've always... I've always been inter- interested in and I've got a couple of business interests as well with a couple of ex-players so I keep myself pretty busy outside
0: good stuff All right so we only need mortgage tips then hit Steve <laughs> up on Twitter because uh, that's that's what he's doing right now um okay it's, well- it's not
2: very exciting lads it's, it's not <laughs> like kicking a ball it's not like kicking that bag of wind around running down the wing it's not quite as exciting
0: yeah <laughs> Well, let's take you back, Steve, as we do here to the decade that changed football, as we always call it on this show. I start right back at, at the early 90s. You were at Villa as a youngster. I always say this to, to guys at the time, obviously, the growing up through the youth level and through the YTS is so different to what it is now and, and, and the, the perks, I suppose, they get. What what are your early memories of being at, you know, on the YTS at Villa, doing the chores, doing all that and the, and the guys that are around you?
2: Um, I moved down... I mean, I, I actually started going down to Astor Villa when I was about 13 years of age. I signed for them when I was 14 on schoolboy forms and then signed an apprenticeship. And I moved down with a, an Irish family um, down in Birmingham, um, which was fantastic. Uh, they, were, they were really, really great people and helped me to kind of grow up because, it you know, in, in the two years that I was there as an apprentice. Yeah. I mean, the game's completely changed. I mean, for in my, in my day we were doing 16, 17-hour days. We would, mm-hmm. We'd play games and then we'd come back to the training ground, do all the, the chores, cleaning the boots, scrubbing of the baths. I don't think the modern kids have got any clue whatsoever about hard work anymore. And even Gra- I mean, when Graham Taylor was there when our, as, a, as an apprentice, he made us go and work in every office at the football club. So I'd have a, an afternoon in the in the ticket office in the marketing department. So we even when I go back to the clubs now, especially at Aston Villa, all the staff know me because I actually worked with them for a period of time. And and when I look back from Graham, that was actually genius because everybody then pulled for each other within the football club.
0: Yeah, I can, I can well imagine. I mean, I always wonder as well, whose boots did you clean? It's always a story I like. Well,
2: well, well, this is a good one because I, I, God rest his soul. He passed away now. I I used to clean a lad called Paul Birch's boots who went on to be one of my real closest friends in football. He passed away quite a few years ago now with cancer. Uh, I played with him at Villarana Wolves. And, and at the time, he was only a little little lad, but he had long cur... He, he used to fancy himself a bit. <laughs>
1: he,
2: he had one of them circus mirrors, I swear he did. And, and I had to knock on the door and go, get down on my hands and knees and go, Blom Bombshell, please may I clean your football boots. <laughs> and if I didn't do that in the morning, I got a chasing around the training ground. And I remember mm-hmm. one particular time where... David Platt and Alan McAnally and Birchie chased me. And in the end, I gave in because I was so exhausted running away from them that they chuck me upside down and dumped me head first into a dustbin. <laughs> so it, it, it was a novel way of, of getting respect from your elders in my yeah. day. Some might call it bullying nowadays, but, yes. <laughs> but, 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 actually, but actually it was hilarious. Mm. And if you lived in it, it was not bullying, it was fun. And do you know what it, it taught respect, which yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think there's an awful amount of that from the younger players nowadays, from what I can see. But they, they were teaching us the lessons in life about how you need to toughen up. And, you know, it's not an easy game. You've got to, you know, you know it's easy playing in front of three men and a dog at a reserve team level. But go in front of 60,000 people where you're getting abused all the time. It actually, it was a way of hardening us up.
0: Was he a good tipper?
2: The worst ever. <laughs> it was the tightest man ever. Absolute joker he was. <laughs> it he was, he was that it, Birchie was that bad when I played with him at Wolves. We always used to wind him up because he, he, he always went to the bookies after training. So we always used to say, "Oh, yeah, you know, Birchie, can, can we have a lift, don't we?" He went, "No, no, I'm going to see me mum." We always knew he was never seeing his mum. So we used to, me and Dave Kelly and Darren Ferguson, we used to head him off at the bookies. He was at. So when he turned up, we were waiting for him as he got out of his car. <laughs> <laughs> Great
1: story. Great story.
0: That's what we like to hear.
1: Um, Steve, Steve, can I just jump in this point? Obviously, you obviously you've, you've gone through the YTS. Um, obviously, it's as you say, it's a great. You say it's like bullying. Now, I, I would sort of call it initiation, probably rather than yeah. um, perhaps rather than bullying. But yeah, I, I, I see what you I see what you mean. And. Um, so you, you you signed for Villa as a young lad. You've, you, it's a very very proud moment. Is it in the Graham Taylor era? Was Graham Taylor the first team manager at that time?
2: Yeah, Graham, um, Graham signed me, and I I had a real strong connection with Graham all literally yeah. all the way through my career because I'm a I'm a Lincoln boy and I right. used to go and support Lincoln City with my dad. Of course. And yeah. I used to support Graham's team. Yes. So when he came to Villa, he brought a couple of lads called Steve Harrison, who you may know, the coach, and yeah. and Dennis Booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Boothie and John Ward who were also part of his staff used to play for Lincoln Right. so th- th- so as soon as I went there Graham really took to me because I was the only Lincoln lad in the entire setup. so yeah. there was kind of an, and he signed me as a, as a 14-year-old Aston Villa
1: Right, okay and obviously Graham himself I, I believe Graham was actually manager at Lincoln at the age of 28, 29 right, something so like that, along those it, yeah. lines It was incredibly young So, and then you're sort of moving forward you, you, Graham of course then departs for the big job um, England and um, Ron Atkinson. Uh, we had Dr. Joe Van Gogh first, and then Ron Atkinson comes in and starts to give you your debut.
2: Yeah, I mean, Dr. Joe didn't really have anything to do because I, I was a, a first-year YTS yeah. at the time, uh-huh. um, so so I was literally at the start of the, my, learning my trade, and and it wasn't until Big Ron came, who was quite shrinking violet, in all honesty. <laughs> he was, he, he, and he, I mean. I just started playing. I was getting a few games in the reserves, and I was—I knew I was playing really, really well. And I—I I think even then I knew I couldn't have been far away from a first-team call-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was—I think it was Boxing Day, and I, I was in the squad, and I'd been in the squad for a while, but I was like carrying the skips and doing all the chores for for a while. And then he told me the night before that I was going to be on the bench, and. Yeah, which was the most incredible feeling ever. You know, to 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 actually be at Villa Park on Boxing Day against West Ham on the bench, um, and I got on for the last last ten minutes. Uh, I think I ran about nine miles and got one touch of the ball. <laughs> it, it was a it was a blur. I literally just raced all over the place. I don't think I got a kick of the ball. In, in fact, actually, um, but but that was it. That was my my starting point at Aston Villa, and it was a, you know a fantastic moment. So you know I've, I've got everything to give to Big Ron for for believing in me at such. I was hoping to say i would just turned 18.
0: Yeah, and that that team, oh, wow. uh, Steve, as well. Like we remember the the first season of the Premier League as as, as Big Ron's team, Villa team, the, the kind of the season that you made your first proper introduction uh, to football as well. I always think that's one of the unluckiest because that was such a great Aston Villa team. You know, you had yourself, you had Tony Daly still knocking your around, you had Tony uh and Axon up front, vastly underrated Dean Saunders. You know, these guys were Paul McGrath was obviously still there, who was. He, at the peak of his powers, really, considering he won the the PFA Player of the Year all as well. How good was that Villa team and and how unlucky were you to not get the job done in terms of that first title season?
2: You get to my age, I'm 49 next month. And it's funny because you you do look back at your career. You look at, you know, and you look at things in a total different way. That was an incredibly special team. Mm -hmm. I mean, you missed out there, Dwight York. Of course. Kevin Kevin Richardson, who basically won everything everywhere. and. The players in that side were just unbelievable. I mean, but it wasn't just that. It was, I think, I think where big Ron wasn't a coach, not a coach at all. What What he wanted to do was get some quality senior players and some young players and some flair, some pace. And he kind of threw everybody into the mix. And basically, all he used to say to me when I went out was entertain me. Yeah. And, and as a young kid, because it's quite, it's quite as an 18-year-old, it's really scary because you're going out playing in front of 40,000 people at Villa Park and you, and, you know, you can be a bit edgy sometimes. And I, I remember the first couple of games I played at Villa Park and I got the ball and I was, re- I was known for taking players on and beating them. And so first time against a proper fullback and, you know, I don't get past him and Big Ron would go again. Mm-hmm. So I'd do it again. So basically I tried to beat the fullback five times and didn't get past him. But Big Ron just kept saying, I don't care, son. It'll be the one time you do and you'll get us a goal. And the same game, after failing five or six times, I got past the fullback, whipped the ball in, scored a goal. And it, and it just taught me about perseverance and actually to believe in what you're good at. But the belief that I got from the manager was the most important thing. Because he believed in me, he didn't say to me, "Keep, you know, come back inside, you know, you know, just just give the ball inside if you can." He just wanted me to keep attacking the fullback and to have that belief from somebody like him was was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I find that I find that quite interesting, Steve. The fact that you say about Big Ron and the fact that he's a he's a coach or he wasn't a coach, he's a he's a manager in effect that had a game sort of changed. I mean, I couldn't imagine sort of Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp today sort of saying to their wingers, "Just go out and entertain me." There's obviously a lot more sort of focus on it now so he obviously had a good backroom staff I know Andy Gray was there at one time before he moved on to to Sky so some of the backroom staff they must have done a lot of the a lot of the coaching as it yeah was.
2: yeah I mean, Andy, Gray, Andy Gray wasn't so much a coming I mean, we, we had brilliant coaches like Dave Sexton Yeah, he was he was brilliant absolutely fantastic um I say we had Boothie John Ward but we, we, had, we had people that Graham knew Steve Harrison was a fantastic coach real huge personality yeah. Uh, I was obviously that was during joined, joined Graham's era. Um, Big Ron, you know, he, he yeah, he had his own people there, but they were they were much in his mould. It, it, yeah. I don't remember an enormous amount of coaching, other than when Dave Sexton came on certain days of the week to to, to really teach us different things. Yeah. It was more about five a sides and shooting, crossing, sco- Big Ron basically wanted us to score goals. He wanted mm-hmm. us to entertain, and anybody who watched that team in yeah. in '92 would realise it, it was an unbelievably entertaining side. Some of the goals we scored and some of the games we were involved in were, were just absolutely breathtaking.
0: Well, yeah. What was it with that side that just didn't have quite enough? What, what was the missing element that didn't quite get them over the line? I, I, spoke to, I actually spoke to Tony Daly, who I know you're quite close with recently, and he said maybe that little bit of experience that some of the United lads who obviously went on to win that title, was that kind of the only thing really missing from that Villa team? I think luck. Yeah.
2: I think you have to, I think, you know, to, to actually get across the line, I think you need a, a large element to look. And, you know, at one stage we were we were ahead by quite a way. I mean, really, we lost the league. I, yeah. I wouldn't say Man United, would not it? I think we we lost it because yeah. we had a few injuries towards it. I mean, I, I got injured. I think There was, there was two or three lads that, that were playing regular at the time that picked up little niggles and injuries that missed three or four games in around the end of that season that I think probably cost us in the end. Yeah, because you went, you went, if I remember
1: rightly, you went to Man United in the, I think it was in the March time, and you went there and Steve Staunton actually scored a, a very good goal. And mm-hmm. you, you held your own in that game very well. But you came away with a point and you kind of looked at that and thought between now and the end of the season, if Aston Villa carry on playing at that level, yeah, the, the Premier League is there for the taking. And how different the Premier League would have been had Aston Villa won that first title and not Manchester United. Um, yeah, I mean, just with okay. the knock-on effect.
2: Yeah, I mean, high, to hindsight's a wonder. You know, I Absolutely. think Man United would have gone on and dominated football mm. because of the the players that they had, but also the mm. finances they had. I mean, yeah. you know, w- we weren't, in terms of finances, an enormously rich club. I mean, Doug Ellis ran the club with a rod of iron, so that there wasn't, you know untold amounts of cash to spend so Villa were never we were never going to dominate for a, a prolonged period of time at the top of the league I think it was a, every night, it was a moment in time where we had a really really special squad of players yeah. but but it was going to come to end because there were quite a lot of older players in yeah, the side exactly. you know, there was a lot of lads who were coming to the end of their career um, so so that, that success would it, it might have been three or four years I think we'd have had it tops because of the, the age of the team yeah
0: he also uh, memorable for a kit as well. I'm going to indulge myself and talk about a kit for a second, Steve, because <laughs> in the kit world, the laced collar, which was that season in Villa, is very much seen as a cult thing. It, are you? Was you a sort of player that cared what kit you were wearing? Did you remember what was it like to play with laces around the collars? Because it's obviously something you did not see anymore.
2: Well, I used to give me my lugs whiplash because when <laughs> I was, I was, I was enough, and, and all the time I could never tie them up. And what, when you did it, it strangled me. And if, if ever you see any pictures of me in old shirts, you'd go. My word! They obviously they never made fitted shirts. I'm surprised <laughs> I ran as quick as I did because they were like wind socks yeah. on me. I must have had some right <laughs> drag on me when I, when, I, when I ran past them. Now that that was actually really cool. We we did a really funny sketch for that because we had a photo where we all dressed as beards and old men because it, it looked like quite an old-fashioned yeah. shirt from years gone by yeah I think I think my favourite Aston Villa was the Brazilian yellow kit however love that shirt yeah we lost every game in it big one <laughs> threw them all in the bin he, in fact I'm sure he set them on fire because he went we never played with them ever again three <laughs> so games basically you're not three, like that's Brazil. It, done never <laughs> seen them again
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember you wearing that at Anfield actually on one I think game. I think it was on telly at the time. Or I remember, and I, as a yeah. youngster, I couldn't understand why Villa were wearing yellow, and it was uh, yeah, but it was a yeah, it's a kid that always always stands out. Um, um, can I just mind. jump in just
1: one one second there, es. um Just just in that first season of the Premier League, and Steve, I don't know whether you were on the pitch or not at the time, but were you on the pitch when Ronnie Rose and Talby at the crossbar?
2: When he hit the crossbar, I right. was on the floor crying, laughing. <laughs> I, I, I remember. I mean, in, in terms of games, that's one. Of, that's that's the game I remember at Villa Park. Yeah. I mean, do, do you know, as, as fans, you're at a game and the ground is absolutely rocking. The place yeah. is bouncing. we just signed Dean Saunders recently. Yeah. Yeah. scoring goals for fun. I made the first goal for Dino. We're we're beating a a that's really right. good Liverpool side. And then Ronnie did that, and me—I just felt I, honestly—I fell over laughing. Yeah. And Steve thought None of us could believe that, that he'd actually missed because it—it yeah. it, it, was—it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, we're, that coming he up, that... we're coming up years. Months, I think, Yeah, I think had they have scored that goal, that you know, who knows, the result may have been different. But yeah. that was a—I mean, we, I think we won four-two in the end. But what a what an amazing game of football, and, and so the atmosphere awesome. inside Villa Park that day was so special.
0: It's amazing it that miss. 30 it's 30 years, years isn't it? And and it's still yeah, the, the go-to, incredible. isn't it? Because there's been a yeah. there's been a few in the interim since. And you know, I think of a Steve Stone one against Reading, and there's that uh, Chris Alamone goal for Sun uh, for uh, Scotland, wasn't it? He missed, but it's yeah. always that is the, the go-to when you talk about misses. Oh, always, let me always tell it. you, Ash,
2: we've all had them. And he's got us all out of jail with that <laughs> yeah,
0: one out here. Let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can well really imagine. Uh, would the highlight for your Villa run be the League Cup run? I know you didn't quite make the final, but you starred in, in the semi-finals against Tranmere. What was that like for you at that time in your career to, to have that League Cup run? And the trophy kind of that Villa team, it, although it slightly moved on from the 92 team, kind of deserved from that period in the early 90s where they were really fun, entertaining teams to watch.
2: But that was, that was, it's really funny because that was my sweet and sour moment. Mm. That was, it was after the cup final, I decided I needed to move on because I play, I played all six league games before the cup final. you see, this is all on record. And then the cup final came, I wasn't even on the bench. I didn't even get a medal. And then three days later, we're playing Chelsea at home and I'm starting in the league. So it, it really, it hit me for six, because I I would have been about 20, I think, at the time, and I'd been at Villa for years and years, and to be part, I mean, it was just the most amazing day, and I was so proud of the lads. They, they did such a magnificent job, and, and obviously Big Ron's selection was totally, totally right on the day. But it but it made me realise that, you know, when you're a youngster, you can be cast aside at any given point, and, and, and that changed my thought process going forward, really. Did he
0: give you an explanation, Rob, well, as to why... The,
2: there were other things that happened where they'd offer me a contract, and and Ron and he said, "If you don't sign it, you won't play in the cup final." And I'm thinking, "Oh yeah, whatever, whatever," yeah. because I know I, I know I was in the box seat because I pl- I was playing every single yeah. league game before the final, um, you know. And I thought, okay, even if I'm not in the team, I'm absolutely certain to be on the bench, and if we, you know, I'll get on or do something. But no, not at all. Um, and yeah so that, that 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 hit me really, really hard it, and I say such an amazing day, such a great day with the fans and and to 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 beat man United in the way they did the the boys were magnificent on the day they really were and, and big one got it right, but it, yeah I, th- I think that was the beginning of the end for me in my head as to you know what was going to happen going forward
0: at that point, you obviously moved to wolves what and at the time they were in the obviously the division ballet was that something that you wanted to do to prove yourself or was it a case of they just gave you the best offer that was the best deal or the best time for you and what what made the decision and were there other clubs interested in you at the time
2: yeah i mean everyone thinks that Villa. i i made my own decision it it, this is before the bosman ruling by the way so there was no free transfer so what what happened was big Ron had gone to america and he was away for a few quite a few weeks doing the the world cup uh commentating and Villa had, Villa had offered me a contract which was so bad it was just laughable. Bearing in mind a, another teammate of mine, I won't name the teammate, had been given a contract ten times more than I was offered. So I went, yeah, okay, seriously, right? I've, I've played every game in the virtually every game in a, in the league in a in a team that's come runners up in the Premier League. I've got to be worth more than that, surely. So big Ron disappeared. In the meantime, I'd I'd been speaking with other clubs, um, and then. I could have stayed in the Premier League. Liverpool came around. Oh. But they'd spent all their money on Stan Collymore, so that didn't happen in the yeah, end. Yeah,
0: that was a lot of money at that time, yeah. It
2: was a lot of money. So, but, and in the end, Graham Taylor kept banging on my door going, look, there's a there's a huge thing going on at Wolves right now. Please come and join me. And at the time, there was Gordon Cowans had gone, Tony Daly had gone, Paul Birch was there. So it was almost like going from one dressing room I knew to a, an entirely yeah. new one with all the same people I knew. And obviously, Graham, who I you know trusted and respected, so I kind of made that decision because I thought, you know, they've got a few quid wolves. We could do really, really well here. It could, it could be something that we can really build on. And, and also I, I got to the point where I thought, I want to be a bigger fish and I want, I need, you know, I want more respect. And the, the one thing you don't get when you're a kid, you don't get the respect you deserve, no matter how well you do. But when you sign for money, a, mil, you know, a million and a half pound, all of a sudden you're treated differently they look after you because they have to because you're an asset of the football club they they, it, it's a totally toni- it's really weird and it's wrong it's something that i think it's wrong in the game even now is that the, you know you don't get the, the the respect i think you do when you actually come for for fairly big money and and it changed and and it, it basically graham and and my time there made a man of me i think
0: mm-hmm. i was looking at that squad earlier actually to, to, when you joined and you're right because you know you had people as you mentioned already that you joined then you had like your Jeff Thomas, your Mark Waters, and Paul Stewart—I think joined on loan. Darren Ferguson was there. A young Dean Richards, John De Wolf—a great name from, from the 1990s. It was a really kind of all-star kind of squad to push on, and unfortunately, you know, there's two playoff final defeats as well. I mean, it was just never really kind of happened in that moment for, for Wolves at the yeah. time, did it? I
2: mean, that—that's one. I mean, that's I have everything. I think that's the biggest regret of my career: is not getting promoted to Wolves because. And, and I would largely put that down to look, and horrific injuries. The first year we were I mean, we were just racing away with the league. We were 10 points clear at one stage, um, looking unassailable. And yeah. then I shattered my ankle in, with a tackle. Jeff Thomas did his cruise shirt, Tony Daly did his cruise shirt. I mean, we lost six or seven really, really mm-hmm. experienced key players in the team. And then we just sank like a stone down the down because because at the time they didn't replace any of us because they thought we might all come back and none of us did. We were they were all really, really bad injuries that kept us out for months at a time. Um, I think, that was, had,
1: the, I think that was the season, Steve, wasn't it? The one that was probably the one because I've just I've, just while you were talking there, I've just I've just brought up the, the results actually. And um, from you, win, you win a game at the start of April, and then from the start of April, you don't win another game until the playoff semi final, yeah. And you ended up losing losing that to Bolton Wanderers, who then actually ended up getting promoted. I mean, that's you, you know at the start of April, you were right there. You were either first or second at the time, yeah. and you know it's as you say, just that that is a horrendous amount of luck, bad luck with injuries.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it. it don't, I mean, you, know, you can't lose six or seven players, key players, all in one um, go. We're not expected it to affect side. So, we didn't have a massive squad of players at the time. You know, the, the lads that were on the bench. It wasn't. It wasn't like for like. Replace not like today, where you know there's an international all star eleven on the bench ready to bring on for, for pretty much every team now. It wasn't like that back in those days, and even in the the playoff semi final, we were really bad luck because John McGinley should have been sent off red butting David Kelly. So even in the playoffs, we had the worst luck in the world. It was almost like everything was against us to, to go up that year, and that was a shame because that was the year uh, if that team had got promoted they would have been very comfortable in the Premier League and would have stayed in the Premier League for a long time because there were so many good players and so much experience in that squad of players. And even if you look at the lads who went on to leave Wolves in the, in the years to go, they all went on to have top uh, top careers in the Premier League.
0: And then Steve uh, Ball. I mean, Steve Ball was somebody who never really got his shot, did he, at the big time? But his, his stats and his and his record at that, that level were, you know, messy-like for that level at that time. How good was Steve Ball?
2: It, it was It was unreal. <laughs> Is that, I might get. I'm, I'm near to this. It's either 308 or 309 goals he scored for Wolves. Which I mean, when you look at it, it's just off the charts, isn't it? Nothing compared to Ronaldo's 800. But you know, <laughs> I mean, back in that era, yeah, take that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 300 odd goals is is it? He was it was just an animal. I mean, it wasn't the sort of I used to wind it up because like I was used to playing for players where you played a one-two and you get the two back. With bully, it was always a one, and then his the <laughs> second was in the back of the net because he would just <laughs> not give the ball back and take on a couple of players. And smash it into the far corner but it he, he was great and, and I think he appreciated playing with me because I, I made him so many goals in our time there um but he, he was awesome and what I love about him as well is was his loyalty to, to Wolves because he I mean he, he could have left many many times mm-hmm. and that's why he's such a, an icon I mean whenever I go and see him now he's still a good friend of mine in fact I saw him just a few weeks ago he's, he's just a, a god in Wolverhampton he really is and you know it, I was more gutted at the end of my time at Wolves that I hadn't got promoted for him. Not, yeah. it wasn't for me. Obviously, I'm devastated I didn't get promoted for Graham because I, I adore Graham. But Bully as well, you know, after what he'd given to the club and everything else. I, I think he deserved a crack at the Premier League in, in a Wolves shirt. Mm.
0: Uh, you moved to Coventry um, after that as well, back to the Premier League. Um, why Coventry? What was the motivation behind that? And I mean, again, a, a club with probably underrated squad of players. How how did you what how do you remember your time in going uh, to Highfield Road?
2: Yeah, it was a strange situation because the chairman of Wolves had basically told me and Robbie Keane he was going to sell us, which it was which is unusual in many ways because we had a really good young team at Wolves. Robbie come through. We had Dean Richards. We had the bases of another fabulous squad. And so Jack decided he was going to cash in on his assets. So we were told we were going to get sold. Fine, you know, and there's not, not, not a lot you can do about that. Um, so I went and had talks with Brian Robson and Middlesbrough, two or three other clubs. Um, and in the end, I, I, I signed for Country City. And the main reason I signed for comp, um as much the fact that Gordon Strachan really sold the place to me, it was my wife, but she was uh, pregnant with our second child. So we had had a, we had a, like a, 10, 11-month-old child, uh, another one on the way. And and Middlesbrough was just too far too away farther, for us. So yeah. all, all her family network and everything else. So This is a true story. I, I turned down a, a load more money to go to Middlesbrough to sign for Coventry. So anyone who says that is a greedy, it's not entirely always true. Yeah. I actually I actually based my decision around my family. And, and actually, my agent thought I was bonkers. Pretty much everyone else thought I was bonkers. But then when I got called in the England squad, I rang all these people
0: and went, okay, all right. <laughs> uh, well, you are know, probably been improved, right? Because I imagine Middlesbrough, I'm trying to get the timeline right. That had just been after the Giannino, Ravanelli stuff when they were starting to, to rebuild, if anything, again. So you would obviously want to play with, you know, look at the squad of, I'm just looking at Coventry at the time when you had like guys like Huckabee and Gary McAllister, you know, Dion Dublin would be would join them as well it's I can kind of see that it wasn't the most bonkers idea to, to join City
2: no I mean everyone everyone said it to me I went have you not seen the, the commentary squad I mean and, and again that was a bizarre one because I, w- I was brought there to to make goals for Dion Dublin in crosses in the air yeah. I signed four days later Dion got sold to Aston Villa that was it. that's quickly thinking, wow. oh, here, we, here we go here we go so you've, yeah. sold, you've told me I'm gonna sign here um uh, yeah, but uh, uh, Coventry was a brilliant club. I, I, I absolutely love my time there. The, the the squad of players there was so fun. I mean, I used to get, used to drive in early. I used to want to get in early because the banter in the in the dressing room was just off the charts. Some some of the gear some of the lads wore was just on a on a whole <laughs> new scale. Right? Names.
0: Name names name
2: names. Steve. <laughs> Steve 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 I'm out <laughs> them now. Oggy. Oh my. He, I thought he was 140 when I signed because that was the sort of gear he was
1: wearing.
2: Yeah. And David Burrows, I swear, I swear, Bugsy just came in wearing gear just to just to wind the lads up. He came in this one day wearing a wearing a spandex under his top, and, I, and we're all looking at him when he's getting his gear off, and he's deadpan. It's not even you know. It's like it's okay, and he, and we're going you got it. Bugsy, what are you doing? And he did it every day. He came in wearing something ridiculous pretty much every day of the week. So we used to call it compost corner. So there was a, <laughs> there was a group of lads. We, we, we used to come in. And, it, and like, if you came in the dressing room, the first thing everyone did was to, to look at what you wore. And if, if it was something they didn't like, you just got hammered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the, your form there obviously led to Um, What I believe was probably an England call that came far later than it should be, though. How what was that? like? I mean, for any footballer growing up, that is the moment you want. You know, we always laugh at the cliche that when you get the call and footballers usually think it's a joke, that it's not really them. I mean, how did that happen? Where where were you when you got the call? What was it like to finally make sort of the international grade?
2: Yeah, I've, I've got a similar story because I thought it was a wind up as well. So <laughs> oh. the Gaffers pulled. So we beat we beat Watford on a Sky game, and me and Robbie Keane, we, I think we both scored. We did, yeah. Then I then went into training on the Tuesday, and Gordon's pulled me in the office and said, uh, "You've been called in the England squad." And I just started. I remember started laughing because I was thinking, "Paul William Shaws, are going to start. Are going to come in in a minute." It's a big. It's a big wind up. So I kept looking at the door behind me, and he went, "You're right, son." I went, "Yeah, yeah." That's said. And I did this for about a minute and a half, and he went, "No, seriously, you are in the squad." And I went, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." And it took me about ten minutes of him convincing me to actually realise I'd actually been called <laughs> up. Um, and then from that, I mean, it was it was the most surreal thing. Um, and you know, I, I obviously rang my dad, the first person I would called because he was so chuffed. And they it, say it's a it's a culmination of a life's work, isn't it, for any footballer who you know dreams of putting on an England top, I guess.
0: And, and did you ever think because you know the nineties were riddled with the left-sided problem that was, especially the late 90s, England never had a left side. You being, you know, a rapid left winger, did that always play on your mind that, you know, I can do this. I can fill that role, you know, guys like Steve Guppy, Alan Thompson, they all had a go. Did you always feel like, you know, give me the chance. I can be your your left winger.
2: Absolutely. 100%. And it wasn't just, I mean, I, I could, you know, I, I played wing back long before wing back was even really a thing in, in yeah. the you know, in the, in the, in the noughties, I guess. So I, I played in a team with, Graham t- uh, with Mark McGee, where we played uh, five at the back and I was a wing back. So I, I, and I went on, you know, even at commentary, at the end of my career, I was playing left back. So yeah. when I actually lost my career, I was actually playing as a back in that game. So I, I could patrol basically anywhere down the left hand side. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I looked at everybody and there were some great players here. Don't get me wrong. But I just thought, why not? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, playing Steve- in the Premier League.
1: Steve, when you, when you turn up then for, for England training, because I'm always quite fascinated by this, you turn up and it's obviously the pinnacle of your career. You're obviously a very talented footballer in your own right, but is there a sort of set of nerves, almost like taking you back to your teens? You're turning up and you're looking around you and you're saying, All right, you know, there's David Beckham or there's Paul Scholes. You know, I've got to impress these lads. Because I've heard numerous football footballers say over the years that it takes a very, very short amount of time to work out whether you're a player or not. They could pass you a ball, and if you miscontrol it, they might think, oh, well, he's not really at it. Um, I think yeah. So, so was there a I, set of nerves there?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it it's literally was like going... I, I was looking one way, because Gareth Southgate lived around the corner from me. So he picked me up on the... And Gareth is an absolute diamond, diamond geezer. Yeah. And he made me feel so at home and comfortable. And I think that was the most important thing. Because when I got there, he introduced me to Alan Shearer and a lot of the senior boys. And I kind of felt like part of it, even though I wasn't. But, but the, I think the one thing you th- it, that you suffer with is imposter syndrome because you go there with all these big stars. I mean, all the Man United lads are there, Liverpool players, and you're sort of, you know, new, newbie and you, you feel like a bit of an imposter. And it, it, I was lucky because, because we played Scotland in a doubleheader. I was with the team for over 10 days, training and everything else. And you get to know the lads and the routines and everything else. Um, and it, then it became enjoyable after a while. And you've just got to assert yourself and and just believe that you are good enough to be part of this group of players.
1: Yeah, because you mentioned you mentioned Gareth there and Gareth, um, obviously, current England manager. I think the one thing that Gareth has done really well as England manager is to create a sort of team culture, team England. So everybody is together. You were there under Keegan, uh, Kevin Keegan, if I remember rightly. Um, What was that? like in terms of when you turned up was it like the Man United lads sat over there and the Liverpool lads sat over there or was it more of a togetherness
2: no it was the Man United lads sat over there and then all of so basically I was on a table with if I remember this rightly Gareth Alan Shearer Nigel Martin yeah it it was it was I remember it to be very other
0: clubs almost yeah
2: It, (laughs) it was yeah very it was very clicky it was the main two teams and then everybody else had their own tables around them yeah
1: which is which is which is bizarre. I think that's bizarre in any era, um, particularly with a international team when your your goal is to to get to tournaments and and to eventually win tournaments, which is why you, I've never heard Gareth described as the diamond geezer, by the way. But um, oh, do you know quite, what? you know what? He, and,
2: he, he really is. He, yeah, he really is. I'm sure nicest. he is. I've just never heard that before. <laughs> He's the nicest fella, honest. And it, and I'll never forget him for what he did and how he integrated made me feel comfortable that he didn't have to do that he, he, he was you know he had his own things he was trying to. He was, he was playing he was doing his own stuff but to actually go out of his way to really look after me is something I'll never forget
1: yeah and when, when you turned up at training was there a, was there one particular England player that you thought Christ he's he's good he's better than I maybe I even thought he was um when you when you trained together
2: yeah David Beckham ridiculous. right ridiculous yeah, yeah. I, 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 actually, I actually watched I watched him taking his free kicks one day after training and he, yeah. I remember he had David Seaman he, he had all these um, players lined up the, you know the fake players yeah. and he was telling David Seaman where he was going to put it and David Seaman edged his bets to that corner and I'd say 7 out of 10 he put it in the stanchion and Seaman couldn't get anywhere near it and I just mm-hmm. looked and went oh my god no wonder he scores from free kicks
1: yeah, it as was as insane
2: but, it, but his, pass, his passing his long range passing When you see someone in the flesh and you train with them day in day out, you go, "Wow, this kid's is a bit. This is a bit special." Really was, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Obviously, David Beckham is David Beckham. You know, the the superstar and everything that is around it. I think sometimes people actually sometimes dumb down exactly how good a footballer. I I think he's
0: vastly underrated as a footballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at
1: you look at all the clubs he's played for, all the things he's won. Yeah, um, he's played for virtually every sort. If you name sort of ten top. Teams elite in the world. clubs, Yeah, yeah elite yeah. clubs. You, you could tick off quite a few for David Beckham. Yeah. Maybe not LA Galaxy, but we'll leave that <laughs> in front of the day.
2: Well, I got but, a funny, I got a funny story about Beck because yeah. um, my, my wife was due to drop any day. And it was so funny. Because I said to my missus before she, I got called, I said, Whatever you do, do not talk to the press. They'll be after a story. Just do not at any cost speak with any of them. Even if they say they're my friend, don't speak to them. So anyway, we've 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 uh it's the Friday before the Saturday game. And the headline on the newspaper was uh, Julie Froggett lies back and thinks of England. And I'm going so Gareth Southgate's dropped a paper through my door. And I've gone, Oh, you got to be good. You? So I've rang my missus. I went, who did you speak to? Oh, he said, he, <laughs> he said he's one of your best mates. I went, Oh, <laughs> Oh, because basically she was, she was a baby. At any yeah. So when I, I was on the bench, against scotland at hamden park when Scholes scored his goals and we, we came back my wife went into labor the early hours of the sunday morning so i got i got whizzed straight back to birmingham um was there for the birth of my daughter was then whizzed back straight back down to the training center again and that night it was really sweet because kevin keegan um put a meal on for me something like a celebration meal yeah and he presented me with a massive jeroboam champagne and my dining partner for the night was David Beckham. So I'm nice. sat I'm sat talking with Bex about babies because he I think he just had one at the time. It's the most surreal conversation I've ever had. <laughs> talking babies. So so when my daughter gets married, that's my as my that's my uh, father's speech done all in one. Yeah, there you to go. <laughs> you more, darling, I'm talking babies with David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean that's, that's, I mean that's i mean that's brilliant i mean like coming that's a from
0: podcast parents, in itself exactly i mean
1: coming coming from a parent point of view i mean like ash ash's family with kids and other you know family with kids and stuff i can't imagine right my wife having a baby right and then just saying right i've got to go back to work now <laughs> see you later like, there's not i mean i i i appreciate i appreciate there are industries where that has to happen but football is one of those industries where that does happen and it it must have played. I mean, your wife's just given birth to the first child. That must have had an effect somehow um, in your family life as well. I mean, it's very interesting.
2: It, it it did because I'd left my I left my poor wife who had had a tough time with it. Yeah. She was on when some family member came down, but she's on her own looking after yeah. an eight, an eighteen month old baby, a new child, yeah. or, while I'm swanning it down, by, yeah. you know at Wembley. And it was it, it was it was so funny because that um that. When we played at Hamden Park, sorry, at Wembley the few days, Keegan saw I was exhausted, the mental exhaustion from first call up, wife, everything else. And I wasn't on the bench in the second game. Anyway, we got beat 1 0 with a Don Mm Utchison goal. And and walking off the pitch, Kevin Keegan said to me, he said, I should have gone with my gut feeling. He said, I was going to play you tonight. He said, but I promise you're playing the next two games. We're playing uh, Brazil. And the Ukraine at Wembley, he said, "You'll get you try, you'll get you go." I promise you. Following weekend Premier League game, broke my ankle, never played again. Mm. It's a true story. I mean, it yeah. it, I mean, it happened, and you know, it, it just shows you how 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 a footballer's life can be so great, yeah. but but you live you live on a knife edge at all times. Anything like that can happen to you. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, we, we, we're going to talk the injury. but Let's get some Twitter questions first, uh, Ed, because I think we've yeah. got some fun Twitter questions. And if we get time, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the injury. But yeah, what of done. the, uh, we put this out to Twitter, Steve, to, to get some questions for you. So, uh, Ed, you've got some of the best questions that were posed to us. What do the, the Twitterverse yeah. want to ask Stephen Froggett?
1: Yes, we can fire through a couple of these. Uh, so, Steve, uh, best and worst away grounds you played at, and why? That comes in from Mark Bowen. Not the, the not <laughs> Mark defender, Hughes. He's number two. Boy, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So that's the first one.
2: Best and well, I'd say I'm Anfield the best away. Right. The worst one. That's, that's tough, isn't it? Because
0: you're
1: going to offend someone.
2: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to. I'm trying to think.
0: Um, You're not allowed to say Loftus Road because then we end the call. So, as a yeah, QPR as a KPR fan, KPR, <laughs>
2: I, can't, I can't answer that one because I think, I, I think it's a grossly unfair question. Because of all every, every club has got its quirks and its yeah. foibles yeah. that make it a bit unique. Like I say I used to love playing at Loftus Road because the pitch was so close. As, well, a, as yeah. a winger, you felt the you know the the intensity and everything else. So now I'm not going to answer that because I think it's that's unfair. <laughs>
1: fair, fair play. Um, I think some of these we've actually covered already, which is which is quite good. So um one question was quite unique it was uh it came in from, from Twitter a page called Follow the Chawler, which was how did the players view the Anglo-Italian Cup? Because I think you played in that. Um did you even consider it? Well a, if I said the Mickey
2: Mouse cup yeah, then you might right. get half <laughs> an idea what we yeah, so it's a bit of a, a bit
1: a bit a bit of a waste, a bit of a waste of time. Um and I think you know, I think quite, look at these quite a few. We've covered um, Steve Ball, um, whether Aston Villa could have gone on to win the league. I think we've sort of talked about a lot of these. Of course, the, the golden question is that everybody wants to know, um, is how did you meet Mrs. Frockett?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a question I get asked a lot of this one. And actually, it's it's a, it's a it's quite an amusing story because I was, I was 20 and it was the Miss Aston Villa competition that night. So... Big Ron had pulled me and said to me, he said, Frogs, do us a favor. He said, could we be one of the judges on the panel tonight? I went, oh, boy, no. Because I, I knew I was going to have a really, really crap night because I was going to be sat on the table with Doug Ellis and all the board thinking, oh, you know, this is, you know, I, I want to be with the lads drinking and having a giggle at the back. So all the speeches, all these girls have come on, fabulous looking girls, great night, job done. Eh? So I'm about to go home. Someone's tapped me on the shoulder and gone, oh, I would like to thank you for... So this was the winner. I'd like to thank you for, for voting for me. And I looked at her I went, sorry, love, I didn't. I put you fourth, in fact. <laughs> and she went, oh, OK, well, thanks anyway. That's that's fine. This one this ended up being my wife. So, so I'm just about to leave the do. And Graham Fenton, who was my mocker at the time, my, my, my wingman going out partner, he said to me frogs he said I've, I've I've got a girl that I'm meeting in the in a nightclub he said I need someone to come and help me out she, she's got a friend and I went oh I really want to go out he said look you owe me one do me it's okay all right I'll, I'll give you an hour of my time so I've, I've gone into the nightclub and I've said to him I said who's the other one and he's pointed up and it's only the winner of Miss Astabillo I've just told I put a fourth place <laughs> oh, wow. I've looked at and I went, oh you've really done me one here ain't you son I said you've absolutely killed me so I've she stood up there. She looks great to be fair to her. She's got this ball gown on. And I'm, hello. Hi, hi, uh, and I'm trying to say to a lot, I'm talking to these girls down there. So, uh, you know, because I thought she's just going to absolutely flan me after me yeah. coming up fourth. I mean, it's just not going to end up well for me, is it? So, end of night, I'm really bored. And I said to her, lot, I don't want to leave you on your own. I said, but I'm, I'm going now. So, I'm going to go and get a bite to eat. If you want to come join me, fine. If you don't, whatever. So, came, bite to eat. And then she dropped me home. Next morning, she, uh, she rang me and went, I can't ever see you again. I said, what do you mean you got to ever see me again? I said, I didn't even ask you out. Because She said, um, "She said, you never told me you played for Aston Villa. Now, the story transpires. Her father's an Aston Villa fan. and She said, oh, yeah, I went out with someone called Steve Froggett last night. And he went, what? And she went, why, who is he? She thought I was a hanger-on for Graham Fenton. <laughs> oh. If you know my missus, she knows nothing about football. And that's, that, that, was, one <laughs> that's ju- that yeah. was one of the things I loved about her in yeah. the beginning. She had no clue about football. So I'm thinking... This is a. This is just. This is too much. So, about five months later, I'm I'm at Villa Park and she's doing her on match duties, and we sort of got to talk again. And anyway, to go very, very long story short, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary last year. But we do always laugh about this because it's it's a story, dinner Mm. a dinner party story. I love to tell when you know. How do you make? Yeah, put her in fourth place. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think she's ever forgiven me for it. To be honest with you.
0: That's in fairness, she's still Champions League worthy, though, isn't she? Oh, well, she's place. Not mad, But I did say to her, I did
2: ask out the other three first, and they all turned me down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant! I love that. I think that's a
2: great. I think, that's that's a great, I think it's a great story.
0: It's a great story to finish on there, Steve. I think the only other thing I was going to ask me I mean, we didn't talk about the injury, but I think is that's nice to end on, on on a light note. But I mean, how disappointing was it for you to in that injury? Just quickly before we go to. At that point when you were england recognition and and up top of the game the premier league was and again i've seen the tackle it's one of those that can happen with Nicky summerby wasn't it i believe how, how what was that like at that moment
2: do you know what age the age i am now i'm very philosophical about about everything i i had 10 of the best years in football yeah i mean you know i say i was on the verge of the england team i but but do you know what I, I, there are players that don't even get to put a shirt on. There are players that only dream about doing it. I lived the dream for 10 years. I, there's not a bit of bone in my body. I, I loved every minute of it and I appreciate, I mean, I played for three amazing football clubs. Mm. I'm lucky that, that you know, I got on with all the fans at every club. And when the, the question I get asked a lot, who's your favourite team? And I would say, well, it's like choosing your favourite child. I've got yeah. three kids. Each club I adore equally and I, I was very blessed to play with all
0: of them. So I, I was a very lucky guy. Brilliant. Well, Steve, thank you very much um, for sharing your memories. of us. some great stuff there. Um Ed, wants any mortgage tips? Obviously, Steve is available for that as well now. Um, but Ed, just one, you, just, go on, yeah, Ed, you finish one, us off. Just,
1: just one thing for anybody who follows Steve Rocket on Twitter. I think another question you probably get asked a lot is, can they come to your house for a party? Because every week there seems to be some sort of do at your house. The music's on. <laughs> The drink's flowing. It just looks like a great time.
2: Well, I'm, I'm from Irish descendancy. My, the, the clue is that my mum's called more I lost my mum to COVID last year, that's Right. And she was called, a uh, maiden name was Maureen O'Malley. So there's, the clue's in the name. Yeah. Right. Right. So there's a bit of a bark inside to our family. <laughs> and, and during the pandemic, all I saw on social media was doom and gloom mm. and misery. And I just thought, Do you know what? We're all suffering. I say, I lost my mum. She died of COVID. That's and I did. just wanted to put we just wanted to put a smile and say, Do you know what? just laugh. Yeah. have a drink. have my, my girls, they love dancing so they entertain me all the time. So it, it, it's just a case of you know just don't, don't take yourself too serious. I don't like it when people are putting oh I've bought this or I've got that and I it's a bit much in the world we live in when people are struggling and everything. I think people just want a, a smile on their face, I think sometimes and I, I try and steer away from controversy if I can. But yeah, when we part, I, I, like, I like to party, I work hard, play hard, and, and that's how we go.
0: Good stuff. Okay. I don't think there's a better way to, to end, Steve. Thank you very much for your time and your memories. Um, Stephen Frogger. Ed, thank you very much. As always, Landlord of the Football Tavern, do follow them on Twitter. Um, I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, as always, keep it 90s.